the beauty industry traditionally for women has always been a bunch of conglomerates that are run by men. And I think with direct-to-consumer, it's given women the ability to run their own businesses and um, have control creatively and financially. And so they can finally, you know, really create products that they know that their consumers, women, young women, want, which I don't think all the legacy brands used to be able to do that. No retailers have been shaken up more in the last five years than those in the beauty industry. The rise of social media has spawned countless new direct-to-consumer beauty brands, which together have caused major disruption for established drugstore and luxury beauty brands alike. More importantly, though, these young, nimble up-and-comers have helped to reshape the global conversation around beauty. For the first time ever, the mainstream industry is talking about inclusivity, employing genderqueer makeup models, and marketing products as sustainable and vegan. In many ways, the beauty industry is leading the retail revolution. Today on Retail Radio, we're talking to Sarah Tan, Senior Fashion and Beauty Editor at Bustle, and host of the newly launched beauty podcast, Gloss Angeles, about beauty industry changes, trends, and what she thinks comes next. This is Mia Douglas. And this is Ali Cummingore, and you're listening to Retail Radio, where we take a look at the state of retail with the entrepreneurs, innovators, and experts that know it best. On this episode, we're talking all things beauty with an old friend and colleague of mine, Sarah Tan. Sarah, would you mind introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about what you do? So my name is Sarah Tan, and I am the Senior Fashion and Beauty Editor at Bustle. Um, and for those that are not familiar with Bustle, we are a millennial feminist women's website, um, and we cover everything from fashion beauty, which is what I do, um, to news, culture, entertainment, um, lifestyle, all that good stuff. Um, but yeah, so I primarily cover fashion, beauty, and wellness from Los Angeles and, um, I do a lot of, um, you know, features and interviews um, with brands that are based out of here, but also celebrities and influencers and all the movers and shakers in the industry. So it's very fun and exciting and always changing. Um, I know that you started with entertainment journalism. Um, Yeah. How did you get into writing about beauty wellness? Yeah, so, um, you know, I have always been a huge fan of um, women's publications and particularly, um, like, teen and young women's uh, magazines. Like, I always wanted to write for, like, um, Cosmo Girl or Seventeen or Teen People. Like, those were the magazines that I kind of grew up obsessing over. And um, I think that, for me, I mean, personally, it was going to school in Santa Barbara and then like being in LA, it was kind of hard to get into um, those uh, publications because I was on the West coast. I'd have to move to New York to, you know, um, get those internships and and get my foot in the door there. So entertainment journalism is obviously really big in LA. So that was um, my intro into the world. Um, But I absolutely loved it and it was so much fun. And obviously teen celebrities were always dressed very fashionably and um you know beauty was a big um focus for a lot of our readers too so it was cool that I got to you know sort of get my feet wet in in that um through Tiger Beat 
Um, but just in, in, in general, like I've always been into, um, fashion and beauty. I think growing up, um, you know, my parents were both, um, very, very into, um, shopping and, and, uh, making sure that they looked good. Um, I think it has to do with the fact that maybe, you know, they grew up in the Philippines and then they immigrated into the States and they always wanted to, you know, look presentable. And, and, um, uh, so I think that definitely affected, um, my outlook, like, you know, my favorite, uh, family activities were spent like shopping at the mall. (laughs) Um, and you know, like my dad is like, probably the most fashionable fashionable person I know. Um, and uh, I think also, too, um, I'm sure this is super cliche sounding, but it's so true. Like, you know, growing up, I didn't really see a lot of people that looked like me in magazines and on TV. And that really like, affected, you know, my self-confidence and, and make, made me feel really self-conscious. Um, and I think um, it's amazing that I have the opportunity now to create content that, um, you know, not only speaks to people who are young girls and, and boys who look like, who look like me, but, um, you know, we can create content for everyone and, and, and make it a more inclusive space. And, um, so yeah, so, and I think that, you know, as, as much as I love fashion, um, and I, you know, still do cover it, I think beauty is just, a, a such a more inclusive space, um, and so it's just been like really cool to be able to, um, you know, feature brands, uh, who are also doing that, um, and, uh, creating products for everyone and not just one sector of the space. It's a long um, answer. No, that's a very good answer. I think it's very, very nicely. Um, Great. I I mean, like you talked about inclusivity, which is kind of the first thing that comes to my mind, but are there other ways that you feel like the beauty space and, you know, to a Uh more pointed degree, the wellness space has changed since you started at Bustle? Yeah. um, So I started at Bustle probably like six years ago, and that was kind of when social media was starting, you know. Um, So Instagram had just started and I think people were still figuring out how to use it um, and uh, so definitely like <clears throat> there's been a rise in you know um, Instagram beauty focused beauty so that's um, <laughs> focusing on you know influencers and beauty YouTubers and the Kylie Jenner's and Kim Kardashian's of the world um, and uh there's also been a rise in, you know, obviously you've talked about it, um, wellness focused beauty brands, um, a rise in like clean and green beauty. And, um, I think also, which, you know, um, you're are asking me about too, uh, but, uh, a rise in like direct to consumer brands as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So just beauty and in general beauty has just, grown tremendously like I used to split my time pretty evenly covering like both fashion and beauty but in the last I would say two years it has shifted to beauty almost primarily like especially out here in LA I don't know that people even know that I also cover fashion because there's just (laughs) so much beauty happening um 
and obviously that's where the money is. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's, it's crazy. Um, so we, I mean, even as our, uh, on bustle, like if you go to both, um, our verticals, you'll see that there's just so much more beauty content. Um, I think also cause our readers are just more interested in it. I think it's like m- more interesting, more exciting, more approachable, more inclusive, as you were saying, it's like we've talked a lot about this rise of like direct to consumer, um, and how the like the beauty space there specifically. I mean, like mm-hmm. beauty and at home has just mm-hmm. exploded over the past couple of years. Um, mm-hmm. Do you feel like it's changed? I mean, like I I feel like it's changed the way that the larger and the legacy brands are functioning now. But I, I oh absolutely yeah. Yeah, I think that <clears throat> it's definitely kind of forced them to take a look at, you know, how they run their company and, um, you know, how the, like, glossiers of the industry are sort of, like, doing things and and, um, and winning. Um, so I think that, you know, I think, but I think that direct-to-consumers are definitely, like, that's why the beauty industry is booming right now is because, um, you know, they really are disrupting it and um, they're changing the way that uh, consumers are connecting with brands. And, um, you know, they're able to, if you are a direct to consumer brand, you can, you know, talk to your customers directly through social media or Twitter or using Instagram polls or whatever. So you can collect data quicker and, um, I think more authentically that way. And um, then you can also, because there's less red tape, you can create the products quicker um, and cheaper. Um, And, you know, like you don't have to create as much inventory um, because you know that your, you know, target customer only wants, you know, one kind of moisturizer with sunscreen in it. And she wants like a multi-use, uh, stick that can be used as a lipstick and a cheek stain or something like that, you know? Um, and it's also, I think, um, really changed the way that, uh, brands are now advertising. Um, you know, they're spending less money on working with like celebrities and, you know, and also just traditional celebrities. So like, you know, before, I think even like probably six, seven years ago, you would see a lot of like, brands trying to team up with like Selena Gomez or like the really traditionally beautiful actors and actresses. Um, whereas like now that that's just like not exciting anymore. They, um, consumers want to see like real people, um, people that look like them. Um, which is why I think, you know, obviously influencers are also um, really popular right now because they are a little less, less, uh, celebrity, <laughs> like an actor and actress, but a little bit more approachable. Um, and so, yeah. And like, just in terms of working with influencers and, you know, um, and all those like social media partnerships, um, it's always, it's interesting to see what legacy brands, um, have started to kind of follow suit in doing that. Um, I think that every, that's obviously the name of the game right now is working, um, with, influencers um but yeah and then also just the beauty industry traditionally 
even though it's, you know, for women has always been, um, you know, a bunch of conglomerates that are run by men. And I think with direct to consumer, it's given women the ability to run their own businesses and um, have control creatively and financially. And so they can finally, you know, really create products that they know that their consumers, women, young women want, um, which I don't think, you know, all the legacy brands used to be able to do that. So, As the person that's on the other end of this testing everything, has obviously like the amount of stuff in your mailbox has increased, but has the product gotten better? You know, um, it it's hard to say. I, I think that the product, I mean, I'm such a sucker first. I still love, you know, brand big beauty brands like I still yeah. have you know my Maybelline like Revlon I have like I'm looking at my beauty counter or my vanity right now I have like Chanel and Giorgio Armani like I have big brands but mm-hmm. um I think what's cool with the smaller brands is that you actually know like the people behind the, the product you can like tell the story really like quickly because you have just like you know what it's all about because of their social media, but also you know like the ingredients that are in there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know exactly what how to use the product. It's just like a, such a different world because of social media now. Um, but yeah, I think that brands now that are launching, they have to be really transparent with how they're making the products, what's inside the products, because consumers are so savvy and um, you know you have you have to be transparent otherwise they're you're not going to grab their attention and they're you know um they will find out it's like so yeah. i don't know if you follow like um Estee laundry have you heard of them uh-uh it's so it's an instagram account that's a lot like diet prada where um they kind of like expose like all the like drama and all the you know rumors and stuff and gossip in, in the beauty industry so they'll you know out a brand uh if they're you know if they find out they're like i don't know donating to a organization that doesn't align with you know what most of the customers uh, believe in or you know um like if a brand if they get wind that a brand is launching a foundation that only has like four shades or something um so it's pretty it's, it's pretty interesting <laughs> it's just to say that like you can't get away with anymore um, in the beauty industry. Like you have to truly be like very honest with your customers. Otherwise, like you will not succeed. Um, and so, yeah, like when I am getting all these products, like I am looking at it with that sort of eye and asking all those questions, um, especially like myself. I don't want to promote a brand that, you know, is secretly donating to, I don't know, the Trump organization. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I or, you know, like or making product. products in China or, you know, yeah. they aren't truly like cruelty free or they are including, you know, some sort of chemical that we shouldn't be using, all that stuff. You can't talk about beauty without talking about the people who are modeling it. The topic has become an increasingly important one in recent years. As Sarah says, customers want to see themselves represented and championed by the brands they're buying from. For the beauty industry, that means pivoting from a small, more traditional and often celebrity-filled roster of models to a bigger, more diverse roster of influencers and brand ambassadors. 
Glossier is a great example. In addition to seeding makeup to celebrities like Tracy Ellis Ross and Sir Shironin, they're pulling in influencers like queer pop star Troy Sivian. Most importantly, though, they've cultivated a community on social media that has evangelized for the brand together. The brand treats customers and influencers with the same level of reverence, and all of them act as brand ambassadors through Glossier's social channels. It's the closest thing to a grassroots movement the beauty industry has ever seen. You mentioned, you know, in the beginning a little bit about the amount of stuff that you're seeing, but also, like, what could feasibly, like, pop off a page or pop off an email and get you excited. Um, what are I, what are some of the brands that are exciting you currently, or what are some mm-hmm. of the things that you're seeing doing specifically in the marketing space that you think are cool, innovative, different? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that f- for me, what I am, and I think it's just because it's so much part of like bus- the bustle DNA. Um, we just are always looking to feature brands that are creating products that are inclusive. Um, and we also like, and that doesn't just mean they're being inclusive in their marketing by, you know, featuring a, a brown girl and an Asian girl and <laughs> a, an African-American woman and, you know, a, a, what like a plus size girl, you know, like because yeah. everyone is doing that now. Um, but it has to be more than just that, right? Like it has to be the product, the products that they're making actually have to be inclusive Um rather than just saying that they are. Because I think post-Fenty, like everyone is calling it the Fenty effect, you know, everyone now is just wanting to say that they're launching 40 foundation shades. But then when you, like, take a look at the actual, you know, um, colors, you're like, well, there's still, like, 40, you know, medium fair skin tones being, you know, offered, and then there's, like, five deeper ones. Um, that the, those numbers are not up, but you get what I'm saying. <laughs> um, or you know, like um, also like affordability. Um, we especially with direct to consumer now, like there's there's no reason that you need to be charging like a hundred dollars for a foundation, unless of course you are, you know, marketing yourself as luxury, and there definitely is a market for that too. Um, but just in general, like for our readers, like as millennial, smart, young millennial women, like they want their products to be affordable. They want it to be inclusive. They want the products to be good and clean. They don't want it to contain any nasty chemicals. They don't want to be hurting animals. Um, they want it. They want to support brands that align with their beliefs. They want to support founders that they like um, and, and they want to know who the founders are. Um, so I think that brands that, um, are do are like doing really well and, and, and exciting me personally. Um, I think, I mean, we talk about it all the time and everyone says it, but Glossier still continues to fascinate me. Um, because truthfully, I, I actually don't even like love all of their products necessarily. Um, especially like their skincare products. But again, I, I don't think that I, as a 32 year old woman, am their target demo. Like I think they yeah. definitely are targeting a younger, younger, um, demographic, but I still want to try it so badly. You know, <laughs> their marketing totally. is brilliant. It's brilliant. Like, you know, when they launched Glossier Play, 
no, you didn't know. Like they didn't release any sort of information, and that Instagram account just like I think it had like yeah. half a million followers or whatever in like a day. <laughs> Which the only other people who could do that is like are the Kardashians. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's pretty crazy. I mean, also that blows my mind as well. Like how. Courtney launched Poosh and then no one knew anything about it and it has like a million followers already. Um, the, pa- the power of the Kardashians. The uh, we have, Kardashians. A, whole, we have then, a whole other conversation. About that. I was gonna, like, where do you see, like, we talk so much and work so much with influencers. Where do you see like the, like, the influencer market mm-hmm. moving, changing in the next couple of years or next couple of months even? Oh, gosh. I wish I knew so that I could catch it <laughs> on it somehow. Um, but no, I I think that there, I, I've just noticed that a lot of brands are not working so much with like the bigger influencers with like mm-hmm. the million followers and um, are more um, focused on working with like the micro influencers who have maybe less than 100,000 followers um, and who have like a more loyal and um, dedicated following Um, because, you know, those who have smaller followings tend to be able to, to, you know, DM and and talk and and, and communicate with their followers in a way that makes them feel like they're friends. (laughs) Um, And so, like, you're more likely to purchase a product when your friend recommends it, even if your friend is an Instagram friend that has, you know, 15,000 followers or whatever. Um, I, so I think that, um, that brands are spending less money on the bigger ones and, um, focusing more on the smaller ones. And I think that also there's a shift of like who they're working with, um, not just based on following count, but like, um, I think that they're working with influencers who are, you know, more real and more authentic and are, um, more quote unquote woke um, and uh, less about like looking perfect and creating those perfect Instagram moments and more about just being real and showing like their, you know, real day to day um, talking about, uh, you know, their struggles with whether it be mental health or, um, you know, trying to make it uh, as a plus size or, um, you know, a minority, whatever, um, yeah. model or, or, uh, uh, yeah. Um, so I think that that's where it's shifting. Um, it'll be really interesting to see how it, how they, uh, will approach it in terms of like the Gen Z customers. Um, because I don't know, I, I, I I'm curious if Gen Z is they're on Instagram or if they're um, on YouTube still. Um, I think YouTube is still killing it. I think YouTubers are still relevant. Um, I don't know why, <laughs> but also I'm like, I'm, I'm old. I feel old when I'm like start talking about that. Um, but I think social media is still super, super important. And um, yeah, I think that, I don't see the influencer going away anytime soon, but I think that it's just the kind of influencer that brands decide to work with. And then finally, 
the age-old question, but what do you think the future of retail is? Yeah. Um, this is totally I, personal. Like, I mean, this is your opinion. By no means, sure. Like, you can trend yeah. forecast. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I think I like said it already, but you know, I think um, brands have to um, continue to be authentic and um, inclusive and create products that can serve a wider range of um, consumers and like a bigger audience. And then also like just continue to use um, social media and all of the uh, digital stuff that they have to collect the data and communicate with their consumers and and figure out what they want. Um, I think that people like, I remember saying like five, maybe like five or six years ago, I was like, I hate shopping on my phone. Like who, who actually shop on your phone? Like, it's like also like so unsafe, like with your credit card information. But now it's like, I constantly am shopping on my apps and even falling um, victim to like all the Instagram, uh, the new um, feature that they introduced recently where it's basically, you know, you can click on the Instagram photo and then it, a shopping link pops up, you know what yeah. I'm talking about? It's like all and so then, it's like you can do anywhere else. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that they are going to make that even easier for you to do, kind of like um, like how you can shop on Amazon Prime and, you know, just click to buy. And I think that Instagram mm-hmm. is going to do that. And um, I think that that is really smart. And I think that that definitely is um, part of the future of, of retail and e-com. Um, I think, uh, websites have to uh, definitely make sure that they are interesting um, looking, like the experience is cool. Um, so like offering their online shoppers like a live chat to be able to talk to someone to help um, help them like figure out um, what products are they need or um, like you can't just have like, I think like a standalone site anymore. Like there's gotta be like some other things that you can offer. Um, and, um, what, I was going to say something else and then I forgot. Um, wait, let me think. Shoot, I forgot. <laughs> uh, oh, oh, that's what I was going to say. Um, I think that I had to do this whole like, uh, report on like, Uh, or a presentation on like the Gen Z shopper versus the millennial shopper. And Mm -hmm. one thing that I found really interesting and maybe, you know, now too, because you said you've been like nonstop shopping um, in real life, uh, which I also don't do as often as I used to. But um, I think that, you know, when you go into these, these shops now, they're built in a way that is like Instagrammable and like, um, kind of experiential versus just like a traditional, like walking into Nordstrom or whatever. Um, Like you have to be able to um, offer customers the ability to like discover new products in a way that's like exciting. And so whether it's like, um, you know, the way that the store is designed or laid out, we're kind of always going back to Glossier, but like... (laughs) Yet, like, um, I don't know if you've been to any of their stores, but like the one in Los yeah. Angeles is like it invites you to stay, and 
you know, there's a sink so you can like wash all the makeup you're wearing off and then you can like play and apply the makeup yourselves. I mean, it's why Sephora and, you know, is like everyone's favorite place because you can like actually play and touch um, with the products, Um, which I think especially with beauty, it's like irreplaceable, right? Like obviously like everyone is still shopping for product online, but they still love to go into stores and touch and feel. Um, And so if like a brand can figure out a way to do what like Sephora and Glossier are doing, but like in an exciting way, um, I think that that is like definitely will be to, to their advantage and is the future. Um, and then also incorporating like if you go into Reformation now, they don't have all of the, you know, um, sizes on the the floor, right? Like you, it's more of like a curated selection of items. You pick it, then you go to the iPad and then you build your fitting room and then, you know, you go to the back and then magically all of your items appear. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, incorporating tech in some way, um, and pop-ups like pop-ups constantly. I think you, you touched on it when earlier, but like you saying, like sharing space, retail space and all the events and the collaborations, um, and then collaborating with brands that maybe aren't just beauty brands, but like a beauty brand and a lifestyle brand collaborating. I mean, you see all these collaborations constantly, right? And it's, yeah. Um, it's a way for you to connect with a new audience um, and uh, drive awareness. So yeah, it's really fascinating, and I'm I don't know what it's going to look like, but <laughs> I think there's something there. The beauty industry is rapidly changing, and so is the way we think about personal health, wellness, and beauty standards. While the industry's branding and adoption of tech are some of the most innovative in the marketing space. It's the larger social changes being spearheaded by beauty brands that are even more thought-provoking. If you need proof, Google a big-name beauty ad from the 1990s. Now open up Fenty or Gucci Beauty's Instagram account. We've already come a long way in fixing the narrative around what beauty means and who gets to be called beautiful. And it still feels like this is only the beginning. <laughs> 